Hello and welcome to the Feminist Fiction Podcast. I'm Natalie. And I'm Megan, hi. We are basically co-founders. Or, well, I joined a bit late, I can't really say I'm a co-founder. Yes, you can. <laughs> but we together we run the Feminist Fiction Book Club Collective, which is a group of different book clubs across London, Manchester, Belfast, Liverpool and Hal in Germany. And we're always interested in people setting up new ones. So if anyone wants to do that, let us know. Yeah. Um, and we also do this fortnightly podcast. Well, I say fortnightly, we've had loads of technical problems. But that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> it it comes fortnightly. out when it comes out. It comes out yeah. when, you know, we, we make the people wait for it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just keeping people on their toes. Yeah. <laughs> keeping um, them in suspense, which is very on theme for this uh, episode because we're going to be doing femme fatales and that's yeah. full of drama. I'm quite excited to talk about this one in that I feel like the examples that we've got are really good um, things to talk about. Maybe we'll like, maybe we haven't done this before, but maybe I can just mention a few things to kind of get you excited about it. Um, Just in the sense that I had never seen Killing Eve before, um, before now. So I've literally just binge watched a lot a lot of Killing Eve and um, that's going to be a focus of this but we're also going to talk about some books on the theme and um, we're going to talk about one of our favourite movies Promising Young Woman so yeah I'm excited it's a fun one isn't it (laughs) it definitely is a fun one Um, and I guess we'll get into like why it's so fun to watch Femme Face yeah scary women last week's was pretty like or last fortnight's when we recorded about bodies was pretty heavy going um mm. but yeah I feel like this theme is less serious isn't it it's less personal and I think we mm. are going to just have some fun with it hopefully well it doesn't seem like it would be less serious does it in terms of like no like, I mean mur- yeah. murderous women <laughs> <laughs> but in a way it is less serious maybe because it's more like I don't know um uh, like it's not maybe because it's not as related to our lives and that we're not going around murdering people so you For know whereas sure. the bodies one was very close to home I think wasn't it yeah and I think that's why people watch the crime genre so much like for yeah. me like these ones we're going to talk about I've absolutely adored and I do like the crime genre when it's like got a woman front and center but like per- personally I, I don't really watch that much crime because I feel like women are so often the victims um and i read a book actually uh called dead girls which is a non-fiction all about that all about women being the victims in in crime um which you should check out but basically that's why i kind of avoid this genre but in this context where you can see yourself almost like as the woman in charge like Mm boss bitch kind of thing <laughs> it's just mm. like cringy things to say um it it does feel exciting and like you say there's that level of distance where it's just fun it's just nonsense and you're just jumping into some fantasy world that yeah. isn't as close like you say to reality so it's not going to make you upset in the way that some of those bodies things that we talked about last week mm. would mm. I guess there's a lot yeah. to it isn't there but yeah, yeah. Before we get into murderous femme fatale women, Megan asked for questions from people on Instagram for us to answer on the podcast. 
and we had one <laughs> which is a good one actually yeah it's a really good one um yeah this is just general um it says megan what do you think slash hope natalie will be doing in 10 years time and vice versa so yeah i'll start since it says my name um mm. thanks for the question whoever sent this in um yeah i mean it's not even like hope I wouldn't say hope I like I know I have a really strong feeling that Natalie will be your next Phoebe Waller-Bridge <laughs> like to be no honest pressure. No, I just feel like it's gonna happen for you like already in the time that I've known Natalie she's like won this really exciting award haven't you do you mind me saying that <laughs> no it's fine but thanks um, I just feel like you're on a really like um positive trajectory already she's been working so hard on her writing for so long and now that it's getting noticed I think the there really isn't anything that could hold you back from that I think you know you just you're already you're already there and even if you weren't like a household name like Phoebe I just think I just have a feeling that people are definitely going to see your work on screens in like 10 years ages away as well like for Mm. sure you will at least have written something that's going to be literally on people's tvs and yeah i'm already proud of you in like (laughs) in the future future you but i'm proud of you now and like yeah oh god yeah so dreamy i mean i think to give some like context i guess for people listening like i've been writing for quite a long time since i was younger and i write scripts Mm. and i've written some stuff for theatre but uh I recently won this channel for writing for television award which I still can't really believe (laughs) it's very weird uh because I've been trying for such a long time I guess and television feels like this really impenetrable thing to get into you know it's like really Mm. really difficult and obviously making a tv show like so much more is involved in doing that um but then as part of it I will be developing a tv show with this production company over the next year but it's very I'm very much like cautious because tv so many things like go into production even and just like never end up on on tv do you know what I mean like there's so it feels like there's so many like hurdles that that need to be jumped over but obviously it feels like a really massive step in the right direction so it's very exciting and still very weird the idea that something I yeah. write might be on TV is crazy. Yeah, like we had a few drinks the other night and you were saying, weren't you, that I guess it's just a bit of imposter syndrome when something's as, as amazing as that that you've been dreaming of for so long um, yeah. is real and it's like really someone, yours. Someone's going to like catch me out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and be like, Actually, it was an admin error. <laughs> we meant to send it to someone else. <laughs> it was all a dream. <laughs> so hard for it you really deserve it and having read a lot of Natalie's writing um yeah I mean honestly if you're listening and you've loved everything we've spoken about in terms of shows and books and whatever you will absolutely adore Natalie's writing so just watch this space people (laughs) okay well it's my turn to answer now I mean Similarly, I feel like with you saying that I have imposter syndrome, like you have really bad <laughs> imposter syndrome about what you do. 
and Megan is uh, an illustrator and an artist and like I literally we're on zoom right now and she's got some of her artwork like in it behind her in fact it feels very symbolic in that it's like slightly off screen like it's kind of there <laughs> but you're not really showing it and she's very very good at it but is currently working as a teacher and often I'm like trying to encourage Megan to talk about herself as an illustrator and artist which you are but you're like no I'm just I'm a teacher and it's like no you're an artist (laughs) like you do it you're an artist so I guess my hope for for you would be that you are doing that in 10 years time which I do believe that you will be I think it's just like self belief and I do think like it sounds quite cheesy but I was actually in a similar position like a year or so ago where I was in a full-time job that I didn't want to be doing I'm like I hope no one no one there is listening to this. <laughs> I love I loved it at the time um no I did I didn't want to be doing it and I felt very resigned and like my writing was never really going to happen I suppose and like that I just needed to be realistic and practical and do this job you know mm. and I would honestly say like th- that it only did change me when I really was like I cannot do this anymore I have yeah. to try and like believe that I can do it you know and that I am a writer and you know that I deserve to be doing this because I do think there's a thing with creative careers where it's just like people just think they're a bit like silly right and yeah you know it feels like they're obviously they're incredibly competitive and it can contribute to this idea that you don't like deserve it or you're not good enough somehow Mm, but like mm. having seen your work you definitely are good enough and you do deserve to be doing it oh that's really kind I would like to imagine you like in like your own house um with like a studio you know you just wake (laughs) up and you like have a coffee and you like do your art (laughs) and you have like many like lovers who just come and go (laughs) that's what that's what I imagine yeah I mean like it's not that far from reality already (laughs) but I guess like one thing we've I'm joking obviously um one thing that we've spoken about and that I think it's important to be kind of upfront about is that I think one of the issues if you're a creative person is financing that Mm. and I think that's for me the reason that a lot of people do break through earlier than you or I have done is because they've had more financial backing you know you do tend to get richer people coming out um faster but I think it's just about us both um gritting our teeth and persevering and maybe yeah working those multiple jobs but also making the art happen um yeah so yeah I guess as you can hear Natalie and I are each other's uh, emotional support (laughs) during like through these kinds of creative endeavors but yeah that was a cool question thank you for whoever sent that in (laughs) Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And I mean, even like we're talking about um, Killing Eve, which is Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Emerald Fennell, who also did Killing Eve, but also did Promising Young Women. Yeah. And as a, I guess, segue from the finance thing, it's like something that I always winds, like I feel very bitter and wound up about, I think, in that mm-hmm. often, I mean, they're both brilliant, like no, you know, no question. They're incredibly talented women but they often refer to themselves as being middle class which always winds me up because they're upper class for sure (laughs) they're like really really wealthy you know like privately educated Phoebe Waller-Bridge is like landed gentry and I'm just I'm always like I'm gonna like bang on about it (laughs) because 
I think the problem with it is it recreates this idea for, you know, middle class can cover so many people. Mm. Um, and it creates this idea that it, what they have achieved is achievable for most middle class people. I mean, let alone mm. working class people. Do you mm-hmm, know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, um, and again, contributes to this idea that people are just like, you know, they feel like oh, I'm not good enough and that's why I'm not getting anywhere. Um, yeah. You know, and it is so much harder. Like, I think even, you know, first of all, if you, if you, a lot of these people have like contacts, like their parents and their families know people in the industry, but even if it wasn't for that, it's just the amount of time that it gives you mm. having, um, having money, not having to work <laughs> every day. Yeah. But I think like yeah. being around you this past year has definitely made me see that the only thing that's going to help us to, really achieve what we want to achieve is having that dogged belief that yeah I think you've really mastered that kind of um it's not that you're like the most confident person ever it's just that you really want to do do it and so you're going to make it happen and I think um I do really want to do what I want to do but I think it's um there's so many outside factors you know and money worries and like just confidence issues and things like that definitely stand in my way and it's really good for me being around you because it makes me think no like if if you like if anyone out there has something that they really care about they're really passionate about it just you it will always bubble up to the surface like at every point in my life when I've tried to squash it back down and think no like like you're saying you know I'll be a teacher I'll be this I'll be that it always comes back up and it bothers me. It bothers me a lot. And I think if something is bothering you in that way, it's just who you are. You just got to get on with it and do it. And um, thank you for giving me that, that confidence, I guess. (laughs) And I guess also like that is something I would want for you in 10 years time of like, I would, I guess just like peace and not having to worry about Mm. these things so much. Like I don't think that like either of us would need, would need like loads of money. It's just like, being fine right <laughs> being yeah. basically fine and not really having to worry I think is a nice wish you're like oh my god this episode is like free therapy so far <laughs> it's really nice <laughs> and it's like and now murder <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just when you least expect it we're gonna talk first about killing Eve, aren't we and uh since I have literally just re-watched uh, for the first time um two whole seasons and a few episodes of season three although I spoke to so many people who said um that it wasn't worth watching three and four so to be honest I think I'm just gonna leave it there I watched a few of season three and I was like "Mm, not sure but basically season one and two oh my god this may be the best show I've ever seen. Obviously, can't believe I didn't watch it sooner. What is wrong with me? Um, it's just that thing in my head of... Um, there was that mental block where I was thinking, yeah, crime genre is just not, not really my thing. Mm. I think it's because, like... I don't know. It, it feels like a quintessentially male thing, the crime genre. But that might just be some kind of weird block in my head and because my dad like absolutely adores the crime genre and and knows so much about it so I could be wrong but I think that must be why I hadn't gotten into it and like I said before because of this thing of women being victims but Killing Eve obviously flips all of that completely on its head doesn't it um yeah and if you haven't seen it I'll just give you a little summary um it's about a um 
a villain called Villanelle, uh, very aptly named. And she is um, like, what's the word for her job, would you say? An assassin. Assassin, thank you. Yeah. yeah. And she goes like all around the world. She gets a postcard for each of her assignments and then she'll go to that place. Yeah. Um, so she'll get like a postcard with like the Alpha Tower in it and she'll go to Paris to, to murder someone in Paris. Mm. And um, she does all of the murders in very creative ways and she takes real pleasure in it because she's an actual psychopath. And they explore the notion of what it means to be a psychopath, I think, really well. Mm. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll get to that. But I feel like the ma- the crux of the show is the fact that there is an investigator mm. um, who becomes interested and works out that there's a pattern to all these murders around the world and works out there's someone behind them. And not only that, but there's someone behind Villanelle. You know, there's a whole... That's a whole other thing. But the, the main crux of the show is that the, the person investigating all these murders has a He's romantic... Eve, in, Eve. Eve. Yeah. yeah, Eve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Is romantically interested in Villanelle. And Vin- mm. Villanelle is interested in her as well. Mm. So you watch over all the episodes... You watch the, te- the the like the sexual tension mounting. Mm. I guess mm. would you say that's a good synopsis? I've tried my best. <laughs> yeah, and I guess like Eve. I mean, she's played by Sandra O. Oh, so she's slightly older than Villanelle, and she's mm-hmm. married to like a mm-hmm. very nice man, right? He's like a, he's he's um, he's like a Polish guy with like a mustache. And no, I have to have... disagree. Actually, for me, he's like a really solid example of like a soft what I would call a soft boy because soft boy. <laughs> he's like yeah. <laughs> yeah. because what I mean by that is he presents really nice mm. but actually he's really not understanding at all about her career like from from the outset he's quite yeah like rude but I know what, I know what you're gonna say but yeah yeah say it. well I was I mean I'm I, I sympathize with him to some degree and I think it must be hard to go out with an yeah. MI5 agent can't be I mean, easy. Also, does he know I, I can't remember now like does he actually know what her job is um I think, or does she have to kind of pretend that it's something else I think he knows bits and pieces and where I do sympathize with him is that when he becomes aware that there is this sexual chemistry between her and Villanelle, then I can sympathise, yeah. yeah. But in the beginning, it's just that he he doesn't like that her job is all-consuming, and yeah. that's where I had this issue with him, where he's one of those... It seemed like he was one of those men who really thinks they want an independent woman with an amazing career yeah, and yeah. stuff, and he really it really pissed me off consistently that he actually couldn't cope and he always wanted her to be at home making his soup and whatever the hell, you know. (laughs) And I think it is that thing of, like, what Villanelle is offering Eve is so exciting, right, in comparison to what her husband is offering her. And uh, she becomes kind of more and more involved with Villanelle. I think, like, what I do think is really interesting about the show is, like, because obviously yes it's about the relationship between the two of them and that like sexual tension and I think it's really interesting because it's like unusual in that you're it's first of all it's two women the fact that Sandra O is a bit like older than her and they're in these completely opposite 
mm. roles like all of it is quite interesting as a kind of premise for like a romantic relationship but also it's like you know like as an audience member you know it's completely unrealistic that the two of them would <laughs> ever have any type of sustainable relationship like it yes. is the thing that's exciting for the two of them is this kind of cat and mouse chase mm, which mm. I think does mirror lots of romantic relationships anyway right like people yeah. find that exciting the, the thrill of the chase yeah but also that like Villanelle is so like um this thing about her being a psychopath I think is quite interesting to watch as an audience member because you're never totally sure whether she's like completely cold and unfeeling mm. or whether she does have some emotions and then it's like well what does it mean if a psychopath is not completely cold and emotionless because I think yeah. it's like we're much more comfortable with this idea that you just like they don't feel any sense of empathy mm-hmm. and therefore that allows them to do these like horrible crimes any kind of middle ground then starts to feel a bit more like morally murky I think and we don't know how to like process that and I think she is somewhere in the middle there isn't she like you're seeing her have these feelings like genuine feelings for Eve romantic feelings Mm. whilst also doing these like awful things (laughs) consistently so yeah it's interesting I think as well what's what's interesting about the dynamic is that Eve I think I think what keeps you watching is that you get that Eve really does identify some things in Villanelle in herself mm. like as much, but Eve very much is a normal person she, she's not a psychopath in any way but it I think that's what it's really good at the show is like drawing out those aspects of ourselves that we do think are shadowy and a bit questionable and and that's why you actually do start to empathise with Villanelle, you know? The stuff that Villanelle does that all of us can kind of relate to, and I think through the character of Eve, like Eve sees some things in herself in Villanelle, right? Yeah. And that's part of their connection. And I think, like, Villanelle in particular of all the examples that we're going to talk about is very like hedonistic I would say you know like she doesn't um really restrain herself in any way like she buys whatever she wants you see constantly that she's like she's incredibly stylish like she has this beautiful apartment I guess because she earns so much money essentially from being an assassin um yeah she has a really aspirational lifestyle doesn't she like you can see it's like weird to even say it, but you can see why she's doing it because mm. she's getting paid the big bucks and yeah. she can do whatever she likes with yeah. her life. And like her her style is very like um, extra, I guess, isn't it as well? Like there's yeah. that really like yeah. kind of iconic outfit of hers where she wears this huge like pink dress and she has no sense of... there's a lot of drama to the way that she kills people as well she's not trying to do it like in a covert way Mm -hmm. um and she just sleeps with whoever she wants you know you see her often like eating ice cream like eating food Mm -hmm. that's kind of luxurious indulgent food right and I suppose like in that sense she's doing a lot of the things that maybe uh all of us would like to do but feel that we shouldn't do you know what I mean yeah absolutely and I, I guess it is interesting seeing it twisted because you know 
we are used to seeing male protagonists who have a lot of money, like Batman mm. and stuff, you know. Mm. And just in general, I'm sure there's um, anti-heroes who have loads. Mm. You know what I mean? Like Rolexes and mm. the right suits and tailoring and the apartments that they want. Um, and I think that is part of why blokes like those kinds of movies because mm. it's like all these gadgets and things all these particularly like sort of stereotypically blokey things that are mm. aspirational for men they can see oh I would quite like that lifestyle this mm. was one of the first times that I've seen something where I thought yeah if I as quite like a femme type of woman mm. was mega rich these are the things I would I would want. You know, I don't want gadgets and I do want um, the high fashion and, mm, like, a beautiful mm. apartment and, like, my, a fridge full of champagne. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And I do think, like, what I really like about Villanelle too, and I guess this is a spoiler for people who haven't seen because I'm going to talk about the ending, so just skip ahead. <laughs> if you, are you if talking you about the, the end end? No, the end of the first season. Okay, fair enough. Okay, okay. Um, uh, It's I guess, not really a major spoiler, but she, like, she's... Sometimes I feel like... I think we've spoken about this on previous episodes when women do sort of bad things. Mm. There's this risk of it being, like, in order to be... In order to do that, they have to be, like, a man. And I think, like, what's good about Villanelle Mm. is she's, like, a woman still. And she's... and, And I think also she's not again this she's not unemotional like right at the end of season one um this is a spoiler like eve stabs her yeah and her reaction is like i really liked you (laughs) (laughs) which is really funny but also like she's got she she's got the ability to be like emotionally vulnerable and like upset and upfront yeah while simultaneously being this kind of ruthless killer in other contexts and I I quite like that about about her you know it wasn't like she was like cold and unfeeling yeah me too and I guess like she's really not in the mold of those 80s shoulder pads women Mm. that we associate with like immense confidence and kind of um yeah like there was that whole movement wasn't there women had to wear massive shoulder pads and big suits, right? (laughs) It was like they had to wear them. (laughs) In the 80s, women were forced to wear shoulder pads. It was a really terrible time, actually, for feminism. (laughs) Thank God we don't have to do that anymore. (laughs) Oh, my God, I can't cope. No, we didn't I like that. I think we should keep that in. (laughs) Um, (laughs) there was a mould of feminism is what I'm trying to say which (laughs) advocated for women like behaving like men to get power Mm. and I guess like in a sense even like Samantha Jones you know in the Mm. boardroom in Sex and the City it's very much like I can play at being in a man's mm. world and I am powerful because I am similar to a man because I'm behaving like a man because I'm sleeping around like a man would because I'm you know um like she does all sorts of things doesn't she like um gets head uh, and gives head 
mm. with like the mailman and stuff like mm. that that mm. comes into her office and then she's just like see you later like she doesn't mm. care she doesn't mm. have any emotions yeah. and I agree with you completely I think Villanelle is in a very different mould like even though she's a psychopath even though she feels nothing um, it's not by like embodying a man like pretending to be a man that she gets her power she is powerful already as a woman and she uses the skills that can be seen as traditionally female like Mm. even like creativity and stuff like that like in the way that she's killing it's always with quite like a flair isn't it yeah and it's i guess that's part of the story is that eve like is the is the one kind of she's like mi5 agent who is like this is a woman doing this mm. right like yeah, she, yeah. she kind of discovers that it's a woman doing it because she thinks the way that she's killing people is kind of more female than male yeah. um but yeah I think it's yeah I mean obviously I loved it it's such a good like thriller so exciting plus it's mm. I got, it's got so much like glamour as a tv show I think hasn't it it's like she's yeah every episode they're in like Amsterdam and like Paris and it's all these major beautiful cities and it is very aspirational like you say it's like I guess like you kind of want to be like Villanelle even though she is evil you're like yeah I I mean I want to be like her you know yeah but also it's like don't know like it's like a lesbian sort of fantasy really isn't it you want to be like her but you also want to date her like you know (laughs) yeah I mean Jodie Comer is like a ridiculous babe as well oh my god exactly (laughs) (laughs) she's so hot yeah it it just works and I think obviously this is stating the obvious but like I think one of the best things about it is that it does have that lesbian relationship like front and centre which we don't often get to see and where the two female protagonists are like excellent aren't they really yeah Yeah, and like we you like in in thinking about this episode we're thinking about like what um what what makes it so enjoyable to like watch women (laughs) behave like this you know like Mm. we're we're talking about it like oh it's kind of fun and it is kind of fun even though obviously it's got this like dark element to it Mm. and I suppose it's because in reality like it's not very often that we're seeing women be sort of like physically threatening towards anyone right especially I suppose women like Villanelle is kind of maybe traditionally like femme yeah you know and it there is something that's kind of empowering about the power that she has and the threat Mm. that she she poses when that in reality is not maybe that's not realistic I suppose I don't know I mean I'm sure there's plenty of amazing female assassins out there (laughs) so (laughs) no I totally get that and I think we're we're used to we're more used to seeing women who are meek and I think even with Eve's character what I enjoyed was she works in an office with uh, the other agents who are all kind of secondary to her intelligence and to her um Mm. she's just so quick thinking and she kind of leaves the men in the office in the dust really and that's Mm. amazing to see you know like and also she's flawed you know she she doesn't really let them in on her thought process when it comes to investigating Villanelle and other uh, assassins you know but she's they all know that she's 
she's got the best intellect and that she can solve the case the fastest yeah yeah. those are the kind of things that we always associate with like male detective shows aren't they you know like there's always that one bloke who's troubled but like he you know and he can't maintain a personal life but Mm. he somehow manages to um be amazing at his job and it's really Mm. it is really aspirational i think what makes eve such a great character as well is that that's exactly what she is Mm. and we're not being asked as the audience to say oh you know shouldn't she be looking after the kids back at home or like Mm. how can she leave her husband like as Mm. the audience i imagine even the men in the audience are thinking yeah she's the best detective Mm. on the case and her husband needs to shut up and just (laughs) let her get on with it you know yeah and i think it again it's interesting like the way that they kind of play with the dynamic between the two of them especially as the story goes on because in many ways like Eve is more cold than Villanelle I think sure and yeah more detached actually like and less emotional and all of these things and it's it kind of flips those what you would expect I suppose from like yeah you know her the um the kind of good good guy bad guy set up you know in that yeah Villanelle definitely. is is actually much more like emotionally vulnerable than Eve is you know which you see, I guess, at the end when Eve stabs her <laughs> in the yeah. I think it's like every it's kind of quite shocking in the sense of like Villanelle doesn't expect it and the audience don't fully expect it either, I don't think. Yeah, and I guess all of the way through they're playing with that, you know, hot and cold, like who's mm. kind and who's like unkind and mm. it's it's never quite clear and that's what makes the show so interesting and the fact you know, at some point Villanelle in the second season starts to say quite a lot um, that she really sees parts of herself in Eve and vice versa Mm. and I think that's what makes the show so interesting it's like it's not just black and white and I often Mm. find crime things a bit too black and white for me where it's like you know the law the law is right and the villain is wrong and obviously Mm. this is like a murderous assassin she's not Mm. right but I think it's really good it does a really good job of exploring the psychology behind why someone might do something bad Mm. you know yeah and also I guess a lot of the people that she is uh, is murdering like uh art is murdering (laughs) (laughs) my grammar that a lot of the people she's murdering are bad people like you right yeah again it's not totally clear-cut like whether that's good or or bad I mean I think that is like the first season's written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge and I think that is she's so good at having characters who are like a mixture of good things and bad things you know yeah yeah she does it really well in the first season I think I think you're right about the um, the murky waters, you know, beyond these two characters as well, mm. because it really made me think of, have you ever read this nonfiction book called The Establishment by Owen Jones? No, but I know, yeah, I know it. It's just really good, and it's about how everybody in kind of like the upper echelons of society sort of knows each other and is pulling strings all around and it's all connected and within this show that we're talking about at some point somebody does say um you know the people that you think you're working for Eve might also be the bad guys you know like and and they really explore that well and even though we're looking at Eve and Villanelle and we do see them as powerful women Mm. um 
the sad truth of it is there are lots of people above them who do seem to be men um, mm. who are actually pulling the strings. And I think they explore that really interestingly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, if you haven't seen it, I guess we've kind of ruined the story for you. The whole plot. <laughs> you should watch it. Okay, let's, um, let's move on. What else what should we go for next? Um, I mean, I would really like to talk about boy parts, which I think has okay. come up in previous episodes, but it definitely would be good to get into it more. Yeah, why don't know, you summarise this one? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously like, I didn't... I couldn't make the book club meeting that we had about this book because we read it for the book club. So I feel like I'm like, I want to talk about it. I didn't get okay. <laughs> the yeah, opportunity to it. do it. But um, I mean, I loved this book. It's by uh, an author called Eliza Clark. Who is, this is her first novel, which I think is like amazing considering how good it is. Yeah. Um, and it follows a young woman living in Newcastle who... She, at the beginning, she just is working in a bar and she gets like sabbatical, you know, again, I won't like spoil the whole reason, but she gets given this kind of, I think it's like six week paid leave from her job, which gives her this opportunity to kind of pursue her art. Like she's a, she's a art photographer, I suppose. And the photos that she takes are, um, quite sexualized images of young boys basically well not young boy young men like and she has this whole thing about how she you know tries to get their id and make sure that make sure they're over age and everything but uh they're quite like s&m type pictures aren't they kind of she'll dress them up yeah. in costumes and um throughout the book you kind of see her uh, you find out about her life, which I guess is she is like a very attractive young woman. Like that's quite clear from the beginning. Very like very femme fatale, actually, the way she describes her appearance, like kind of yeah. blonde bombshell, very skinny, but like mm-hmm. big boobs. And she does quite a lot of work. Isn't to she redhead? It. Actually, I think oh, in really? real life the author is blonde, but yeah, I okay. think at some point they they talk about how like she's meant to look like Johnny Cash's wife. Right, okay. Um, I guess it's quite like Jessica Rabbit. Yeah, right, yeah, that's the only reason I mention it, yeah. Yeah, and she's like, she does quite a lot to maintain it. And I suppose that's maybe something that's like different to Villanelle, who's very kind of hedonistic and indulgent. Like, she's called Arena, the the main character, and she is Mm -hmm. like, yeah, she in many ways has quite disordered eating behaviors and doesn't you know never eats like carbs and things and kind of talks about the work that she has to do she's like a bag of salad just as the bag that's it that's her yeah yeah (laughs) and I think the author does a really good job of like making you feel the the pain of that I really felt like her how hard that actually was for her Mm. and she does this really Mm. intense like exercise regime and stuff but Alongside this, she's throughout the book, she's kind of picking up men for these photo shoots and it gets increasingly dark, doesn't it, as it goes yeah, on. And yeah. um, I think at the beginning of the novel, you kind of think she's quite cynical and sarcastic. Mm-hmm. But then as it goes on, you realise increasingly that she's actually very dangerous. And I suppose it's like flipping the idea of kind of predator and victim I feel on its yeah. head a bit in reversing all right you know we all kind of know this idea of a man who's like a predatory man mm-hmm. especially in this context of like taking 
pictures of young women, you know, and asking them to model for them and then kind of exploiting that situation. Um, we're used to seeing that being a man doing that to a woman. And mm. in this story, we see, I suppose, what would happen when a woman does it to a man and how it feels like it's a novel that's exploring how women exploit men, actually, like, and how... Yeah. Um, they can use their sexuality or these different things in order to do that. But I think this has come up in previous episodes, but one of, there's this really good line in it, which I feel like really sums up the book where she says like, what do I have to do to be taken seriously as a, like as threatening? I'm kind of, yeah. I think I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, she can't get seen people. As a threat. Yeah. Yeah. She can't get like, no one will see her as dangerous, even though she is dangerous and she's doing these like really violent things. Um, and I thought that was such an interesting thing to to explore as like what we're talking about of like why is it good to see someone like Villanelle probably because in reality it's more like this story boy parts where no one really thinks that a young woman could do anything terrible you know yeah but also I think in reality a lot of the things that happen in the book with Irina you know I I struggle to... I think maybe when I'm, what I'm getting at is we're going to talk about promising young women in a bit. And mm. I think the way that that movie ends is more reality for me. Where I think yeah. all of these things that we're talking about, they do, all of the ones that we've chosen to speak about, they reverse gender roles and they, and they play around with it. And this book is so good at doing that. Um, but for me, I took it as like an exploration of what this might be like in almost like an alternate reality, even though it's not mm. it's set in like the here and now, but it, for me, it felt like, what would it be like if women could just do what they want? Because mm. in my reality, I feel like no matter how predatory she could be, no matter how many men she would take back to her house, ultimately, I'm not sure that they wouldn't have been more violent towards her. Mm. I don't know. It's, it's such murky waters, mm. isn't it? But... But, it but there is so a point, I suppose, where she... I thought it was interesting that the author decided to have this. There is a point where she's, like, assaulted at a party. Yeah, know, like, true. Gets, exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah, she gets really, like, messed up, basically. Like, takes, mm. And that's quite, like, a regular occurrence for her. Like, she parties pretty hard, I guess. Yeah. And one of the men at this, this party assaults her. And mm -hmm. she leaves the situation kind of... I think quite self-aware that that's happened you know like she kind of quickly gets into the fact that that's what's gone on yeah and so it's like even in even in this kind of alternate reality like you're saying where she is doing these dangerous things to people she is still experiencing that like she still can't fully escape it yeah that for me was the most interesting scene of the book because it was a really interesting like question mark where it's like even if someone is a psychopath or even if they're not, even if they're just doing violent, evil things, mm. even that person doesn't deserve to be sexually assaulted. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And the fact that she put that scene in there, I think really like elevated the book even more. It's such a good book. Mm. But I think to come back to all the S&M stuff, I think what the book explored really well was um, the idea of, of boundaries with that, that the guys mm. were really into... Um, what was happening at first mm. but she pushed past all of their boundaries and became increasingly 
uh, violent and there was no safe words and it was really disturbing and it just showed a lot of I guess for me it it showed in the reverse but it basically made the point that this is happening all the time and not just in an mm-hmm. S&M context like all of the time men are having sex with women and seeing how far they can push things do you know what I mean mm-hmm. I guess that was my lasting like feeling of mm. maybe what the author's intent was with this book you know yeah and I think like yeah there's for again for those who like haven't read it there's a character in it called Eddie from Tesco who's oh, like Eddie. this young boy that she well I say oh, he seems he seems really young doesn't he like everything about him yeah he's so sweet and kind of innocent and again like I found it quite interesting because she's really attracted to him and really drawn to him like for those reasons and mm. again that's not something that we usually sort of attribute to like what's attractive in a man right like we don't mm. it's those are things that are usually attributed to women as being attractive this kind of like mm. it's sweet innocent innocence and kind of purity and like angelicness yeah, that he right. has and she that's like what she is attracted to in him and it is like yeah. flipping that on his head and she's incredibly like abusive towards him in the end right as well and takes advantage of it and I'm yeah. just like we're always like Eddie from Tesco <laughs> oh, Eddie from Tesco <laughs> everybody in the book club loves him <laughs> <laughs> yeah and again I like I suppose that's like I don't know it's like is I maybe that's not realistic but it was just interesting to read that perspective like of again what it what it would be like if that was the case and that you know like women like her Mm. were interested in men like him for those reasons um like I think you said that it was kind of like a female like American psycho which I was kind of interested in as like I mean I've seen the film but I haven't read the book as a comparison um yeah I mean I've read a lot of Brett Easton Ellis and I think um the all of his novels centre around quite a different uh, type of um, mise-en-scene, if you will. I can't think of like less cheesy <laughs> way to say that. But, you know, they're all, like, in L.A., really rich uh, guys. Um, I, I like those books because they're set in very fancy mid-century modern apartments which I'm a bit obsessed with like architecture and stuff so that's why I like it and I like thinking of architecture as like a space where things will happen as a result of the space and so I guess um I'll get to my point sorry Mm. but yeah in, in, in those movies uh and in the books what's interesting is it's just like one character in a massive blank slate kind of environment um, and I think, you know, that that allows you to see the psychology of the character more purely. Like, there's, there's not much ornamentation. It's all about, like... And I guess linking that to, I guess, Irina's environment, she has this basement, doesn't she, with all these toys? And there's a... There's, yeah, I do see the similarities between American Psycho and, and that, but also... There are differences, you know, I think deliberately the author has made this protagonist um, working class, which separates her from those kind of Mm. tropes straight away. And I'm imagining it's kind of like some dingy little basement, but she is using 
the language of those kinds of things um, a lot because she's using the art school spaces, which mm. are blank white spaces, mm. similarly to in American Psycho and stuff. And I really loved, like, as a... You can hear this from everything I'm saying, but, like, mm. as a past art student, mm. <laughs> I guess I loved that this book really takes the piss out of the... Mm. Um, the kind of pretentiousness of the art world mm. and but also uses what's good about it uses the fact like that yeah if you are in a blank room that does um allow for a lot of creativity and that is definitely what Irina's bringing to the table you know she's she does whatever she wants but mm. she poked fun didn't she in the novel at a lot of characters who um were really not that talented but had a lot of money like we've been saying before I've said a lot of things in this two minutes I'm not no, sure it's, it's together. really interesting <laughs> I also do think that like with it kind of ties into the art school thing of this of, a, of the like ego that's involved in the art mm. world mm. and and her you know like how she presents herself and her appearance like I do think there's something that's quite interesting in boy parts about like how people respond to a person like Arena as a woman. Mm. Like it's you know she has this I can't remember what her best friend is called but she has this kind of best sort of long suffering flow, flow like best friend who she's kind of horrible to and yeah um but they and they've also previously had like a romantic well like a sexual relationship mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I think like Flo and her response to Arena and like other people's is like the same thing with with maybe Villanelle of like they can't decide if they want to be like her or they want to sleep with her yeah, or yeah. they hate her. It's like they can't really handle her power. Like she has mm. so much power and they don't know what to do with it. Like they're attracted to it. They don't like it. You know, like Flo has this boyfriend who kind of hates Arena. And yeah. I think it's like um yeah it's like people are either drawn to her but then if they can't really have her they hate her mm. you know and they and they like Flo has this blog right throughout the thing which is very funny yeah. I think where but she thinks she's got this like private blog that no one reads but Arena's found it and so is reading it all the time and so you yeah. get Flo talking about her like actual feelings about Arena on this blog and we understand what's going on for her but she's kind of in love with Arena and mm. is like grappling with sort of trying to be her friend and be there for her whilst she's not very nice to her. But it's like, I don't know, there's something that I do think is kind of um, interesting in like when we, with women that are like attractive, successful, you know, powerful, maybe a bit mean in some ways, mm. people really don't like it. Do you know what I mean? Like people yeah. really respond very badly towards it, which you see with her, like people yeah they're they're either trying to like have her or assault her or (laughs) it's like she is kind of a in a difficult position like it's hard to sympathize with her too much because she's sort of evil in some ways Mm, but mm. I do think that it's partially like a reaction to how people respond to her I mean it's like a bit of like a muddled way of putting it but do you know what I mean no completely and actually um maybe that if you don't mind, can lead us on to the next thing because yeah. um, I 
also, and you've read as well, um, the My Sister the Serial Killer book, which yeah. I think explores exactly what you've just said really well as well. Um, this is a book... I'll just say why it links to that, because one of the main characters, the one who's actually killing, is called yeah. Ayula, and she is so beautiful. And it's exactly the same thing as with Irina, where, yeah, her beauty surpasses everybody else's and so mm. nobody suspects her of anything and no one can see her as a threat but mm. I think what that book explores really well is that there is perhaps more of a backstory there than there was with Irina where mm. we see that Ayula was beaten by her father and her father tried to kind of sell her off to mm. be married at a very young age and those things have contributed to like a real um hatred of men Mm. that's you know born out of trauma Mm. um which i think gives you a bit more of understanding as to like why she then goes on to kill but anyway Mm. um for a bit of context on that book it's set in lagos in nigeria and it's um it's from the point of view of Ayula's sister, who's less beautiful and who has been covering up Ayula's murders mm. um, for a very long time, which is a really interesting perspective, I thought. Um, mm. And I really enjoyed it. Did you like this book as well? Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, like the, the kind of setup is that, yeah, she keeps, Ayula keeps killing her boyfriends, right? And then mm. there's... Korede, the main character, mm. she's like in love with this guy that she works with. Um, and then her sister meets him and he falls in love with the sister, which is so sad yeah. anyway. Like you're yeah. so sad for the main character. But then she's put in this position where she's suddenly like, oh, she's going to murder him <laughs> as well. Yeah. Like he's, he's next in the kind of line. And I think it is, um, yeah, it's like this interesting exploration of like you know her sister is so objectified really all the time Mm -hmm. like men very quickly fall in love with her because of Mm. basically how she looks and then are kind of uh upset and appalled when she doesn't meet she doesn't match up to what they expect of her right yeah what I enjoyed as well is like the first half of the book I wasn't totally into it like I wasn't rushing through it Mm. but you definitely got this build-up of feeling towards this guy Tade who's Mm. who Aula is about to marry Mm. and so you you feel like he's a really nice guy he's a doctor he's Mm. really caring for all his patients he's kind towards um Aula's sister Karedi who's the main character Mm. he's just kind to everybody and everybody loves him Mm. and so when he gets with Ayula, your first thought is, oh, this is really bad. He's going to be murdered by this evil woman. Mm. But in the second half of the novel, it's like, oh, actually, he doesn't care about anything about her. He doesn't know mm. anything about Ayula at all. He's very superficial and he mm. just loves her appearance. So when Karedi asks him... Um, what is it that you love about my sister? And she can think, even though she knows her sister is a, is a murderer, she can think of a lot of specific things about her laugh and about the way she plays games and all this sort of stuff. Mm. And Tade can't say anything about any of those things. Mm. He just says she sparkles when she enters the room or some mm. shit like that. And then I really started to love this novel because I was thinking, yeah, it's really getting at something there that like, 
men are very, very likable mm. um, before we really even get to know them. Mm. Um, and know, you know? Yeah. Like, I w- and, and also, like, I think with this whole, like, femme fatale thing, it's, like, it's interesting with, like, all of the examples that we're talking about because... There's this like I have I had I have this friend right, um, who's really good looking, like beautiful mm-hmm. and very charming. A man or a woman? Or... A woman. Okay. And similarly, like often you know I I introduce her to people like men and she'll leave and they're like, who was that afterwards? <laughs> so they're like yeah. they're always like blown away by her. Like she has yeah. this almost like kind of special magic power or something. It is yeah. like you know. And I remember being out with her once and her being really getting quite upset about mm. it and being like, I just feel like people just see me as this like hot girl, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And yeah. some of our other friends on the night out were really like pissed off with her for saying it. They were just kind <laughs> of like, oh yeah, it's like, it must be so hard for you. Kind of, you know, like it <laughs> sounds like a kind of first world complaint, but like the more I've thought about it over time, I I do feel for her because it mm-hmm. is like she can't just be um, taken at, at kind of face value like uh, for who she is. Yeah. It's like people always having this response to her and then it's like all of these stories that we're talking about, I feel like it's like there's a degree to which it's not surprising that these women become kind of murderous with it or like, you yeah. know, want to like take back that power because they're kind of constantly having this uh, they're constantly being like objectified in a way, even if it's in the sense mm-hmm. of like men thinking that they're like in love with them or whatever. It's like, but they're not really because they're like they're kind of not really like you say getting to know this person. They're just taking them as this like femme fatale, astonishing kind of woman. You yeah, know? and like that's uh, really a stereotype. It's not a person. It's you know. Yeah, it's a fantasy. It's not a real thing. It's Definitely. not a real person. And um, yeah, I've I've similarly had a couple of friends over the years that were like that, so beautiful. And and one of them um, told me about how when she was younger, friends of her father's at like social events would flirt with her and would Mm. grope her and stuff. And I think like that's what this book does explore very well. I think that's where it got more complex and more interesting was where, you know it started to think about the the right that some men feel they have to beauty, that beauty is like a commodity and that like mm. young children, mm. it's okay somehow for people to say how beautiful they are, how much they sparkle or whatever shit. And, you know, even just on a kind of seedy level, like porn categories for young girls are like soaring and stuff like and like school uniforms do you know what I mean like and I think to have been if you were that beautiful from a young age that's an awful lot of trauma even if it's minor even if it's like every time you see an older bloke who's a friend of your father's they are groping you like over and over and over again that starts to really like hack away at your psyche doesn't it and And also yeah but like we're shown so often like how much power that can give you over a man like mm. it's like if you're a beautiful woman this is the kind of power that you can have over yeah. a man like their head over heels or do whatever that you want blah 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 and mm. it's like there aren't that many other contexts where you get that type of power like you know mm. women are not um taken as seriously 
without that I think or not taking I don't know maybe not taking it seriously but like you know like my brother always says this thing which I think is is good of like that he'll feel like if like um feminism has been like achieved when we see like you know with news anchors like yeah when we see like women who are like as gross and like old as like Andrew Neil <laughs> you know <laughs> on screen because it's like that's such true. a good point they're yeah. always like really attractive and much younger than their male yeah. counterparts and it's like it seems almost like this prerequisite that you have to have you have to be attractive as a woman to like get anywhere sometimes you know absolutely yeah absolutely um, which like yeah we we see with like all of these characters that we're talking about and again it's like but then they're using they start to use that power in a violent way yeah but it's, it's I mean obviously I'm not excusing murder but <laughs> there's it's understanding why they get to that point I suppose isn't it I think it's the process of like the backstory and like why they've become the way they are Mm. that makes us really enjoy these shows you know we're not watching it because we love people getting murdered Mm. it's because we're relating to all of the reasons why a woman might have like righteous rage (laughs) you know what I mean (laughs) yeah definitely And, and like why if it's like if you are a woman and you want to have power Mm. um being doing being a femme fatale is a pretty surefire way of doing it I think isn't it (laughs) exactly exactly okay so I mean I feel like this kind of brings us on to promising a woman which we've mentioned um yeah as I in a way it feels like it feels like a really sad one to end on but like it's maybe a more like realistic like you said uh portrayal of of what uh, what happens I guess when a woman tries to use this kind of femme fatale thing as yeah, kind so of a way it's of re- the right revenge one to end on, you know yeah like maybe this should be our last one because yeah I, this is more real world shit isn't it do you want to explain yeah. it or shall I you explain it I think you'll be better at it oh no <laughs> <laughs> that's not true um but yeah so Carrie Mulligan's character in this movie is called Cassie And Cassie has clearly been um, really hurt in the past. She's been assaulted by men. I can't remember if it's one man or multiple men. Um, She's another beautiful woman. Mm. And a lot of the themes that we've explored are very present in this movie. It is, I would say, this is probably my favourite movie. So I don't know if I can be objective in like exploring (laughs) it. So I'm sorry in advance. (laughs) But I just feel everything about it um not related to what we're going to talk about here but I love the cinematography of it maybe it is related actually because I think there is something deliberate in the candy colors that they use Mm. and how that contrasts with the dark subject matter um anyway every shot is beautiful and one of the first scenes is she's in a club she looks like she's very, very um, drunk and she's slouched over. Her suit is disheveled, wearing like kind of a, a work suit. Um, she can barely hold her head up. And a guy approaches her and he wants to give her a drink and clearly knows that she is under the influence and that she can't hold herself up, that she's feeling really not in control of herself and that's Mm. why he is approaching her now he gets her 
in his car takes her back to his or to hers, mm. whichever. And that's so the plot begins because as soon as they're in the door, she reveals that she's not actually inebriated, that she has full control of her senses and that she recognises that y- you, this man, is... Um, like just like in her in her reasoning like every other man she's encountered who just Mm. wants one thing who doesn't see her as a person who sees her as an object that he can assault Mm. um and the plot of the movie kind of like continues in that way um but i guess it's interesting and it's like it's kind of pushing it slightly beyond what we've discussed before where Mm what I mean is that duality and the murky waters is more murky in this movie, isn't it? You know, mm. she is a villain kind of, and like they are villains. Like, mm. I don't know. It's, it's less clear cut. I, I don't think she is as, um, calculated, shall I say, as like mm. Irina and Ayula, mm. um, and, definitely mm. not like a psychopath like Villanelle this is mm. like a really wounded woman and I think she's someone that perhaps is the most relatable mm. um or if I have I yeah. found the most relatable and I mean it's like a revenge story really isn't it again like yeah. I mean this is a spoiler but it's like you find out that her best friend was raped by like several mm-hmm. men and oh it's her best friend know. yeah sorry that's right yeah. it's not her yeah yeah and and it was like filmed mm. and stuff. Oh god, yeah, that's right. And really like she's doing this in order to sort of get back like get find some kind of justice in in right. the situation which yeah. gets like, you know, increased I like she kind of comes up with like a plan to like actually get these guys back. And I think like what's quite um yeah, I mean, these are all massive <laughs> spoilers, so... But, like, what's quite disturbing in the film is that it's set up in a way where you really think she's going to get that revenge. Like, and you're kind of rooting for her in that revenge film way that we're, like, we see in lot. You know, like, I always think of, like, Tarantino. He's, like, obsessed with revenge, right? And his films give you that satisfaction often. Like, we see the protagonist get the revenge that they want i feel like we need to like pause for a minute like are we actually going to ruin the end of this movie for everybody or not like we need to make a decision (laughs) well it's hard to i mean it's hard to like talk about it i think without or like why it's interesting without talking about the ending right everybody we're gonna go for it natalie's about to ruin the end of the movie so pause now and just like fast forward if you don't want to do it (laughs) switch off if you don't want to just go and watch the film and come back um but yeah like you yeah, we're used to seeing that, is what I'm saying, in, like, a lot of films, right? That's mm. it's satisfying. We're like, this person's been hurt, and we want to see them get revenge, and they get it. And yeah. we're really set up for that in this film, where you think that's what's going to happen. She kind of tracks these guys down who raped her best friend, and her, her mm. friend committed suicide as a result of that. So it's awful, this thing that's happened. Mm. And does her thing of, like, she dresses up as this, like, hot nurse... And yeah. it's, it's on their one of their like stag do's, isn't it? That she goes mm-hmm. to, and then she like ties this guy up, and she's about to just carve something into his chest, like pretty mm. crazy stuff. But he gets hold of her. Basically, he like breaks free and he kills her, and yeah. it is so like 
um, shocking, I think, because mm. she's the main character for a start, like, and then she's gone. She's no, like no longer in the story. Mm. And I remember really feeling like I couldn't believe it had happened when I was watching it. I think actually yeah. me and my partner Ross went to see it and we were both like, what? We were both like, she's actually <laughs> de- dead. Do you know what I mean? We were both yeah, like waiting yeah. for her to like come back, you know, and like, part, like for it not to actually be the case. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, what's that, that's kind of what, I guess what we're saying, the kind of reality of the situation, it's like, maybe that is more realistic and that's awful isn't it of like the kind of violence towards women but this like sort of you know even even for her even with all this planning and everything she's done she's like Mm -hmm. overpowered by this essentially violent man yeah Um, it's really it's really harrowing isn't it that end and I think for me it's like if you think about the crime genre and like pro feminist sort of progress within that genre all of the examples that we've given almost set us up to believe that of course this woman's going to get her revenge like that's where we're at in cinema you know we're mm-hmm. at the place where women are actually going out there and getting mm-hmm. their revenge and kind of behaving like the criminals that we've seen men be on screen so often mm-hmm. um like you know Villanelle is is getting her just as a getting her revenge yeah. I mean you know like yeah. she's not there's there's no um there's no doubt in our minds as viewers that mm. she's going to triumph every time um and I think what makes this movie really powerful is it's like haha audience you know we got you because mm. of course women still don't have the power like just because we've put you in a few nice movies mm. where we've changed like flipped the gender roles doesn't mean that mm. anything at all has changed on the outside world and it was mm. just like so gut-wrenching watching mm. that scene wasn't it yeah um and it's pretty gruesome afterwards as well isn't it, it really doesn't like shy yeah. away from the kind of aftermath of all that I also think what was good in this story is like the romance that she has in the story with like, uh, he's played by, the character's played by Bo Burnham, who's amazing as like a mm-hmm. director and a person. I like love everything that he's done. It's like cool <laughs> that he's in this film. Are you not in love with him? You mentioned him a few times. <laughs> I, I like, yeah, I love him. Um, but he is like that kind of nice guy trope, right? He seems right. super duper nice and like really woke and all of this stuff. And then mm. at the end of the film, you find you, she she finds out through watching this recording of what happened to her friend that he was there at, when yeah. this happened. Yeah. And he didn't do anything about it. And he's kind of that bystander. Mm. Um it's so it's so like has the film yeah that like really like pulls the rug out from underneath you because you like him yeah. do you know what I mean you like him in the yeah. way that she likes him and then it's like oh actually he's it's you know all of these like things that we're set up to think are going to happen get re- get removed from us like we don't get yeah. that satisfaction and I think what with him and then in the end when in the last scene when she is murdered it's in a house which it's not a frat house but that's the vibe you know they're in the middle of the woods but it's a sort of sorority type no mm. frat house of men um and similarly to what happened with the first assault it's like all of the men within that space are willing to cover up the bad actions of yeah. that one man and i think yeah what that movie does really well is like 
highlighting how how much of the situation we're now in with regards to abuse and stuff is as a result of men being willing to say nothing you know like even if they're not covering anything up actively it's the passiveness of nice Mm. guys like quote Mm. unquote nice guys which Mm. keeps violence going you know Mm. yeah and you see that with the like nights out kind of thing as well right at the beginning where there's like Mm. they're like groups of men often and one of them decides to go off with her and take her home and she's drunk and that none of the others do anything about it you know despite it obviously being wrong I think it is just that thing of like I mean with the yeah with the femme fatale thing again it's like why it is so enjoyable to see someone like killing Eve even if that isn't realistic because it's like would it I would not like wouldn't it be great but almost you know what I mean like if women did have that type of power you know um and I guess promising young woman is quite a like reality check like you said well yeah I mean I guess like in in an ideal world no one would be violent towards anyone else but I think basically the the level of violence that women experience all of the time Mm. you know it it does really get to the stage where you feel as though there is something vindicating in see in seeing a violent woman on screen Mm. um because we're so used to violent men within our lives and passive Mm. men who covering those things up and like we went to see with the book club um prima facie which was about an assault Mm. um definitely recommend that in fact Mm. i'll just use that as my recommendation for today because Mm. i've been too busy watching killing eve to really watch anything Mm. else also Um, jodie coma (laughs) just go yeah yeah It's an amazing play, um, and we watched it, like, National Theatre, isn't it? We watched it um, mm. kind of live, almost like the cinema. cinema. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I think what that, what that was really amazing at showing was just how devastating the effects of, of assault can be. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's a sad note to end on, isn't it? But definitely go and see that, because it was really powerful in showing and I think one of the main points of that that she kept repeating was like one in three women have been assaulted and I'm pretty sure all of what um that statistic is referring to is like serious assault because Mm. I'm not being funny but I don't think there's a single woman walking this earth that hasn't been at some point you know casually groped or Mm. belittled in some way and um yeah, I think it, it is rage-inducing, isn't it? I, and I think women, like, there's a book that I read once called um, Rage Becomes Her, and I, like, mm. fully recommend that book to every person I've ever met, mm. um, especially women, mm. um, because there's sort of a description in that book of a woman standing on the top floor of a building throwing plates out of the window, like, one after another, like... So mm. mad, <laughs> and mm. there's not much description of like why she might be doing that, but I think of that all the time of how there's just so much sort of like growing discontent within mm. our bodies as a result of like things we might have experienced, things our friends might have experienced, things we're going through on a daily um basis, and yeah, although this sort of uh, episode was meant to be loads of fun, I guess mm. it is right that we're ending on this kind of note because, you know, women are angry. They should be angry. Like, get angry, everybody, and throw mm. those plates out the window. 
Yeah, and I think like <laughs> actually a lot of these stories we're seeing are like that sort of is what uh, what is at the heart of them, you know, and what yeah, they are trying yeah. to look at. Because I yeah, I think it is that thing of like how do women take back control in this mm. kind of world of like objectification and these stories are ones where women are trying to do that. In, yeah, like art you know, is a great way to take back control, I guess. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and these characters are like, you know, they're tra- they're trying to do that in a, in misguided ways, I guess. Often, yeah, putting other people in the at wrong risk ways. Putting themselves We're not at condoning risk. murder. <laughs> Don't kill people, guys. I sort of underline that. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's an exploration of like women trying to take back control. I think in face of that yeah. kind of objectification and sexism, essentially, in. Right. Yeah, and I guess in these different stories, like there are ways that it's fun, like in Killing Eve, and there are ways that it's mm. not really not fun, like yeah. in yeah. Oh, well, I think in, in pretty much all the other examples, like I think my <laughs> sister, the serial killer, has an element of fun and funniness to it as well. Definitely, yeah, um, that's the lightest one. I think if you if you haven't read or watched any of these, mm. and you want something fun, that's the one to go for for sure, isn't mm. it? Yeah, and it's like there's so many other examples I think that we could talk about in this episode, but we've kind of mm. like don't want to overdo it. But um, we obviously are seeing this more and more, and I do think it's an interesting area to explore in a story, right? And to mm-hmm, think about these mm-hmm. things, to see these characters. Um, but yeah, I mean, you've kind of done your recommendation. Yeah, why don't you do yours now? Because. That's all I got. Because actually, mine also sort of ties into what we've been talking about. And again, it's a show that's on Apple TV. I'm just like an advert for them at the moment. <laughs> Every single episode. But um, it's a new TV series called Bad Sisters, which has um, Sharon Horgan in and Anne-Marie Duff. Uh, so some really good actors. It's about... The premise is, so I'm not spoiling it, like the setup is it's about this group of... Irish sisters and base I think there's uh five of them in total and one of them who's played by Anne-Marie Duff her husband has died and you find out very quickly that the other sisters have killed him basically right okay right so it's very linked to this yeah and um you get flashbacks of him when he was alive and he's like so unlikable it's like <laughs> you're like you you're all like yeah I get, I get why they'd want to kill him <laughs> very he's kind of abusive in that like coercive controlling way yeah and he's just such an asshole. it's like yeah you know you you're yeah. pretty pretty on board from the beginning you're like yeah fair enough <laughs> Um, because I guess that you have to understand why this group of like normal women would Mm. decide to do something like this but it's really really funny Um, it's got the actor from Good Luck to You Leo Grand in it as well oh that's (laughs) another reason to watch (laughs) Um, because basically again the setup is that there's these two brothers he's one of them and they're like uh, insurance guys you know life insurance Mm -hmm. guys and their biz- their business is pretty much like on the rocks. And so they have to make sure that this claim, life insurance claim of this guy who's died doesn't go through. So they start investigating okay. it like they're police officers almost, you know, like really trying to make sure that they, they can find a reason not to give them this money. So okay. that's the setup. It's almost like, but I, yeah, I mean, it's really, really funny. All of the characters are great. And 
all of the different sisters I think what's kind of great about it is that along whilst they have this reason of him being this kind of abusive partner to their sister they also all have their own reasons for doing it which you quickly find Mm, out like which kind of makes it a bit more interesting um but it's they just released two episodes and then I think they're releasing like one every week so which is so annoying because you can't binge it but oh. even like I mean it, it was so good and that even like my partner Ross isn't very much like I'm I like I always want to binge stuff and he's like no yeah. we should we should wait we should like pace ourselves like wow. he's much more patient than me and even he was like oh my why God. haven't they released it all <laughs> <laughs> he was like angry that he couldn't watch any more of it so that's saying oh, amazing yeah it sounds yeah. so good <laughs> um but yeah okay I mean that's it yeah <laughs> we did it it's- it's been a long one, but I feel like we've we've gone pretty in depth. I hope everybody's enjoyed it. And um Yeah. Yeah, get get angry, I guess, is our message, is it? <laughs> but like, not what's, angry enough what's to the moral murder. Of the story? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or cause anyone any harm. <laughs> okay, we'll leave you with that. A thought for the day, everybody. Yeah. Angry enough to write a really good story about yeah. murderous women, but don't actually Definitely. do it. <laughs> That's our takeaway. Love it. Love it. Oh, amazing. Let us know what you want us to talk about next. Yeah, thank you for listening. Remember that you can follow us on Instagram at, at feminist.fiction if you want to join one of the book clubs, um, which are taking place in London, Manchester, Belfast, Liverpool, and Hal. Um, we'd love for you to get involved. And also remember that if you're not in any of those places, you can join our online Zoom calls as well. We do online meetings. Uh, and we do have some members who are outside of those zones that join that so you wouldn't be the first uh yeah and remember to like subscribe rate review tell everyone that you know helps us uh, boost <laughs> the podcast listeners and thank you so much for listening yeah thank you for listening everybody see you next time <laughs>